0: and you can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash slash film.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, December 29th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about the Book of Boba Fett, Episode One Stranger in a Strange Land. This is Slash Film editorial director Peter Soretta, And Man to today's podcast is Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars nerd, he's he's all he's the smartest person that knows the most about this universe, this galaxy far, far away that I know, Brian Young.
3: Oh, that's very kind of you to say, because you know lots of people who know lots about Star Wars. <laughs> I mean,
2: okay, let me, let me clarify: uh, the person that doesn't actively work on <laughs> Star Wars, <laughs> that isn't in the the writers group or whatever it's called. Uh, I think you probably know the most out of anybody I know. So um, it's good to have you back, Brian. We haven't talked to you in a while. What, a year,
3: maybe? Yeah, it's probably been since last time. I I checked in to see if if, uh, we wanted to talk about Bad Batch, but but I I don't think we connected (laughs) on that one.
2: Yeah, I didn't end up watching past the first episode. Brad, did you watch Bad Batch?
1: No, I'm terrible when it comes to the animated Star Wars stuff, so I I haven't seen any of it.
3: Yeah, um, and... It was good, and I think it's going to have some ramifications for for Mandalorian stuff.
2: <laughs> I mean, I mean, it in the first one of the first shots alone, as some kind of connections. But yeah, okay. so we're going to have to use your knowledge of that, Brian, because I don't think I'm okay. going to end up watching the whole season of Bad Batch before we get to probably what happens. And I we're by the way, we're just speculating. None of us know anything. So, um, but it, it it seems it, it seems kind of. Possible that you know Boba Fett, he's a clone. It would connect the Bad Batch, right?
3: Well, and and the Bad Batch really did dive into the idea that Omega is the code name that they gave Omega as a clone, and she's the only other clone that hasn't had any genetic replicate or genetic altering other than just uh, her gender, and that Boba Fett's original code name was Alpha. And that mm-hmm. comes out in Bad Batch, and it seems like that's going to have some connections. But also, Fennec Shand appears on the show. Bib Fortuna and of the Hutt come up on, on Bad Batch. So, there are definitely a lot of at least external ties that feel like they were um, setting some things up or at least tying them together.
2: Yeah. And Filoni was the producer on that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and you know Filoni. He loves pulling stuff in from other stuff he's created. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um uh you know, a- as always, we do these podcasts in four segments, feedback where we answer your questions, we go into our brief reactions, we go into the breakdown of the episode, and then we end it in speculation. Uh this week, since it's the first episode, we don't have any letters from you guys, but if you have anything you want to tell us ask us, if you have any observations that we might have missed. Peter at slash one.com is where you want to send those questions or comments. So let's go into our brief reactions. I will, I'll, I'll start things out saying um, that I think my biggest complaint about this—I I loved it—but I think my biggest complaint about this episode is it's so short. And that's my uh, my biggest complaint about like the uh, uh, the season one of Mandalorian is. So many of them were like hugging, kind of like that thirty-minute time limit. This is like I think thirty-eight minutes long, but you know, you cut out the credits and stuff. It's close to thirty minutes. Um, but uh, it, I don't know. It has everything you'd want from Star War, uh, Star Wars stories: it has droids, it has creatures, has aliens, has a cantina, has a mystery, has mythology, expanding the universe. And uh, the thing I like is it, it's familiar, but it's also at times weird and not what I expected. And, uh, yeah. Uh,
3: Brian, what are your brief thoughts on this episode? I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of new territory tread in this episode. I kind of feel like they were taking everything that we were, we'd already been able to imply uh from other media and just showed it to us to do the table setting for this just in case people hadn't put the dots together right like um you know how many fans of the mandalorian who are like excited about boba fett are going to have actually connected the dots about the reason that boba fett showed up in the mandalorian wielding a gaffey stick like how many of them are going to remember necessarily like that how many of them are going to remember that Boba died in the Sarlacc? I guess I don't know. I mean, like I guess I didn't need to see Boba Fett punching his way out of the Sarlacc because I assumed that he <laughs> had. Um, but Brian, so you can't know, like, you can't leave that to a
2: novel or a comic book. You need to see how he escaped the Sarlacc. Bay. I I got agree with I you. I mean, though. like that's
3: like that's like saying in Raiders of the Lost Ark you need to see Indy break up with Marion when she was a kid. We can <sighs> I just know, I... assume that that happened and move on.
2: I think if this came out right after Return of the Jedi maybe but I feel like we've spent what 3 decades wondering about this 4 decades it's a long time uh, wondering about this we need to see that I I do want to agree with you that I think a lot of the other stuff is kind of a pitfall that was set up by the fact that like he appears for the first time in uh I guess Mandalorian season 1 but mostly Mandalorian season 2 and we kind of have to explain how many years has it been since Return of the Jedi? We always have this conversation every time we do a Mandalorian so, episode with you. I,
3: I put this in my review for Slash Film, but like, um, it's between three and five years after Return of the Jedi. There's uh, some some who will say like definitively it's five years, but they haven't pinned a time down in the canon, and I guarantee that they will not actually tell us what definitive time there is unless there's a a story reason for it from elsewhere in the storytelling so i keep telling people it's sort of this squishy three to five year post return of the jedi region
2: yeah so i think the rest of that stuff in the episode the flashback is having to do the service of explaining oh he escaped the sarlacc pit like almost right away where has he been for all these years
3: um, yeah, no. And, and really a lot of the stuff that I was just sort of like, it it felt like they're gearing up. The big question that I had leaving this is why is Boba Fett different? Because before in the Clone Wars and in, um, you know, in the Clone Wars and in the classic trilogy, he's this very ruthless person who doesn't necessarily care about honor. And he was remarkably different in the Mandalorian where he, he was feeling a little bit more honor bound. And he here, he's like, we're not torturing people, which is like, he was, t- he didn't stand up to, you know, his biggest issue with Jabba the Hut or uh, Darth Vader torturing Han was like, you know, I don't care what you do to him. I just need him alive. Um, so, so maybe these flashbacks are really helping build that change in his character over those few years. And that's sort of what I'm excited to see is how he turns into this iteration of the character because it's not the same one that we left with. I mean, it's,
2: you often delve into the cinematic influences of Star Wars. And I do think that this episode is partially that, you know, Western trope where the, the cowboy gets kidnapped by the native people and uh, he ends up learning from them, from their culture.
3: Yeah, uh, I I mean, I, I definitely see that that's very much where it could be heading. Yeah. Uh,
2: Brad, what are your brief thoughts on this episode?
1: I um, didn't dislike it, but I thought it was underwhelming. Honestly, I wish they would have done two episodes for the premiere instead of one, because this feels like it's very basic pilot setup for stuff that we all, like Brian said, kind of already... Uh, assumed was going to happen uh, Robert Rodriguez had already mentioned there would be flashbacks we pretty much assumed they would show us how Boba Fett survived and what happened immediately after Sarlacc and then we would see him start to take over Jabba the Hutt's crime or, or Bib Fortuna's I guess crime syndicate uh, after coming back to Mos Espa so there wasn't a lot here to dig into um, There there weren't wasn't much in the vein of any like revelations that like make you hungry for the next episode either like there's a couple dangling threads but otherwise it's a pretty basic opening that you know and maybe it's just because my expectations are set from the mandalorian to think that there's going to be there's going to be something big at the end of this episode that got us excited to see what happens the rest of the season um and i feel like that there should have should have been something like that to give us you know wet our appetite a little bit um but yeah i it's it, i think that
2: And by the way, you you aren't wrong to have those expectations because the trailers have been so minimal and so thin that. And we had been told that they were just showing the first 15, like clips from the first 15 minutes of this episode, which is.
1: Oh, that's that's not entirely true because there's. Yeah, it's not true at all. Yeah. And so, but even then, like the other stuff doesn't necessarily give us anything to latch on to as far as like an overarching plot beyond what we already assumed the series was about. I really
3: feel like this first episode was about. Getting, I don't know. I hate using the phrase "fan service," but like getting that stuff out of the way so that we can tell the real story. So people aren't waiting to watch him punch out of the sand of the Sarlacc.
1: But at the same, at the same time, like I think that the flashbacks are going to continue being such an important part of this story. Um, kind of operating in a similar fashion, like as the flashbacks did in Lost, where things that happen to Boba Fett will tie into what he's dealing with in present day. Um, and so that's, that's interesting, but I hope that whatever happened in his past between Return of the Jedi and when we run into him again in the Mandalorian is like a story that's worth telling. So I don't know.
2: Yeah. I I, I don't disagree with anything that you said, Brad. I, I will say this also, uh, for a series and an episode that's set on Tatooine, I actually, and that's coming from producer Dave Blaney, uh, I respect how much this wasn't an Easter egg hunt of an episode. It would have been easy to like, I, I know you mentioned fan service uh, before Brian with the Sarlacc pit and stuff like that, but there, there wasn't that much of like, it would have been easy to like overload this with like, Oh, remember this, remember this. And I'm sure that's coming because you're in this place that we've been to before and in the original trilogy. But I, I kind of love that. It was kind of trying to do its own thing. But um okay, before we get into the episode, why don't we talk about the new theme song for the Book Above Head? This was released like an hour before the show went on the air. Uh I and, and, and this is by the, the same guy that did Ludwig Gorenson. Uh he, he did uh, The Mandalorian, he did a lot of the um
1: He did Black Panther.
2: Yeah. He did all all the work of Ryan Kugler. Um, yeah, it, this is not what I was expecting at all. When I heard it online, I actually leaked earlier in the day. I was like, I'm not sure if this is it because it was so vocal, which you never hear <laughs> this much vocal with with his scores. And also, uh, I don't know, it's just not what I'm expecting. And I, I kind of hated it when I first heard it. But then when I heard it in the context of the show and when the credits hit, I, I it, it had grown on me. I, I mentioned it online. Someone replied to me and said it sounded very Swedish. Um, and also has kind of like some spaghetti western vibes to it. I wanted to know, uh Brian, what did you think of the uh, the the main theme there
3: i you know I didn't catch it early, um because i I tried to hit it first thing in the morning, yeah, instead of waiting up for it. um, so I caught it in the context of the episode, and yeah, I picked up a lot of those spaghetti western vibes for it. It feels so much I, I don't know, this episode felt so much like... Uh, one of one of one of Rodriguez's mariachi films but in star wars in a lot of ways right Mm -hmm. even down to the really um overexposed sort of um negatives and things like that and so it fit for me in that 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 really gritty sort of western context of the of the episode brad your thoughts on the music
1: so I like Ludwig Göransson's themes that he made for Boba Fett, but it's uh, shown in the credits that he only did the themes for the book of Boba Fett and he is not doing the entire score like he did for The Mandalorian. And it is painfully obvious the pieces that Ludwig Göransson did not compose because it sounds really generic when it's not Ludwig Göransson's signature music and that's very upsetting.
2: I I have to agree there. It seems very basic when it's not the the themes that he's composed. And the the, the composer of this is actually Joseph Shirley, which he was like the score programmer on Ryan Coogler's films. I'm not even sure what a score programmer is. I know a lot about filmmaking, but the music side of things is a little bit not something i really know much about but um
1: well my apologies also, to joseph shirley because i'm sure yeah. that he's making his way up the ranks and this is like a big opportunity for him but i feel like this is a strike
2: yeah he did some additional music on the mandalorian as well um but yeah i i yeah i feel you with this one okay let, let's let's get into the breakdown because we've already gotten 15 minutes and we haven't got to the episode uh this episode begins with ominous music and some panning shots of jabba's palace it's it's never been so empty before, and uh I admire how faithfully recreated this uh um, i
3: I wondered if they were shots lifted straight out of return of the Jedi to be honest, that shot hmm. of it empty looks almost identical in framing to the moment where Luke comes in uh when when it's all very quiet and dead um As far as the interior goes, the exterior they obviously sort of created. I I imagine we'll get lots of shots of that. But that one shot felt very much plucked right out of Return of the Jedi to me.
2: It's very possible. Uh, We see Boba Fett laying in a tank filled with water. Is this a back to tank?
1: It is. It is. Okay.
2: It looks different than what we've seen in the, uh, the original trilogy. Like Luke was in one that was like vertical. This one's more of like horizontal. Uh, tank um so <laughs> I, I i i love this back to tank because it allows them to do two things it allows them to do these flashbacks because star wars doesn't do flashbacks they only do visions or memories or dreams right like they don't do
1: or am i am i right about that brian they has did, it broken that they did a flashback in rise of skywalker
2: well yeah, no but that was like team. her having a memory wasn't it or, or i was mean that him having a memory i mean sorry
1: yeah. I mean, you could say that, but like, it's, it's not like she's like asleep or like, it's like a fade to a memory. Like it's, it's clearly a flashback. Hmm.
2: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, but also the other thing that the back to tank does is it means that tomorrow doesn't have to wear all that, all that makeup all over his face every episode.
1: Yeah. I called this when we did like a, a trailer <laughs> breakdown because, uh, because there was a shot that you could see the back to in the background, I'm like this is definitely the way they're going to get rid of all of that scarring and nasty makeup that they'd otherwise have to put on
3: him yeah and and make it seem as though the damage to the sarlacc makes it sensible that a 60 year old man is playing a 40 year old man oh
2: yeah uh that makes sense as well okay so we then get to see into his thoughts which include our first uh live action shot of Camino since attack of the clones uh brian do i have to ask why why are we seeing this
3: well, I mean, we're seeing this because uh, he's dreaming of his childhood and uh, dreaming of where he was born and where he was raised. And I think uh, any any therapist is going to tell you childhood has a lot to do with the person you become. And uh, I'm really excited about this. I think we've talked about this before as we were talking about Boba Fett's appearance on The Mandalorian. The stuff about Boba Fett that interests me the most are the science fiction sort of implications of him being a clone and how those clones were used in the galaxy and what that legacy is. And how does a clone cope with, um, you know, having the same face of their father that they loved that was cut down dearly in front of their eyes, which they show us again here. um, And so the promise that we'll get into that is really exciting to me.
2: Yeah, I, will, I would be shocked if we don't see Boba Fett come face to face with another clone in this season. I would I yeah. would bet money on it. Um, yeah, we also see that shot of young Boba Fett picking up his father's helmet, looking into the reflection. Um, and interestingly enough, this is not just a shot taken from Attack of the Clones. This is actually part of... Uh, actually, one of the shots is a recreation, and one of it's an unused take from the movie. So there's actually a credit in the credits of um, Daniel Logan's uh, body double, and he gets a credit for being in it, so... So that's kind of cool. Um, and Br- <laughs> Brian, I, I think if you were staring at the shot from Attack of the Clones, I asked you to do an interpretation. You would probably tell me that Boba Fett is squatting on the battlefield in the shadow between light and dark, and that means something.
3: Yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that was very <laughs> purposeful. Yeah. and uh, I loved how they, they played it up but gave it some movement and made it I mean it was very apparent it wasn't the shot from the movie right oh, and maybe it's just me feeling it's very apparent because I know yeah. Attack of the Clones really well probably better than most or more than anyone should <laughs>
2: to be honest with you I didn't even notice it until someone pointed out on Twitter so but I, I gotta say that's probably my least watched Star Wars movie so um, okay so Boba wakes up Inside the Sarlacc pit, he realizes he needs some oxygen. He takes some from a stormtrooper that had been uh, thrown in there, I guess, recently, or I don't know, who knows, uh, and then begins to fight his way out. I, I got to say, I loved this sequence because it could could have been played from a wide, and it could have shown you, like, this epic shot of the Sarlacc pit and the destroyed sail barge, but it's done so much in, like, close-up and... In close quarters with Fett and putting you in his in the claustrophobic position of being in there I, I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts of this whole sequence
3: well I think I think that is very much not just a symptom of um, trying to recreate that feeling of claustrophobia and you know ever since 3PO said that that the the sarlacc would slowly digest a person over a thousand years i think we all had an idea of what that would look and feel like and sound like and i think they really (laughs) recreated that really well but also i think it's a matter of like production budget too right like do you want that huge shot it's expensive digitally or physically to 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 have the big epic shots but why not why not play it close especially in a, uh, a situation where that makes sense And go the cheaper route.
1: And plus, I think if you do that wide shot, then that feels a little weird. It almost feels like a Wes Anderson diorama shot of the Sarlacc, like where you would see Boba Fett and a stormtrooper and like, you know, (laughs) uh, a a skiff guard that fell in from the sail barge and stuff like that. Just random things all spread out.
2: Uh, I'm also a little bit surprised that they spent so little time on this moment i i know brian you don't think that this moment <laughs> needs to be in there at all but uh i don't know it, it feels like a moment that fans of boba fett have been waiting for for decades and he kind of like just easily gets out like he i guess, doesn't
3: i what guess that? that's the thing to me is it just feels so obvious yeah
1: although i will say i think that it does raise some questions about the sarlacc because the way he digs out is like a good distance away from the mouth. So like how big is like the Sarlacc mouth or like, does the digestive system spread out like all around like the, the mouth that makes up the, the, you know, the pit there. Well, and then
3: the other thing is, is where did that stormtrooper come from? That's a more interesting story is how that stormtrooper got in there. Cause there weren't any on Jabba's sail barge.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. But he could have been in there for up to 3000 years.
1: But Ryan, again, it raises right. more questions as to how that works, because then why is yeah. he in roughly the same position that Boba Fett is in?
2: Yeah. yeah. I, I will say this. I don't know anything about the anatomy of Sarlaccs, but one of my favorite things in Galaxy's Edge is in Doc Ondar's. They have a baby Sarlacc in a yeah. tank. And um, you can kind of see the anatomy of the creature in, in that form in the comics. uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca, I guess, stole it and Sold it to Doc Onder, Onder, but anyways, I'm getting far off here. Um, but okay, so what happens after that? So the Jawas steal his armor, you know, which, leaving him for dead.
3: Which was something that came straight out of Chuck Wendig's Aftermath books. Again, this is one of those things where it's like, um, both the Aftermath books and The Mandalorian Season 1 told us that Boba Fett's armor ended up in the uh, in the hands of the Jawas. So seeing it happen is fine but we already knew that yeah
2: i feel like we didn't meet. i don't know i guess if you leave any of the pieces out then people would be like what happened to his armor yeah right so uh so i guess they just needed to have a quick shot of that happening uh the tuscan raiders find him take him prisoner forcing him to uh to stay in a pace with the Banthas, like he's tied up and he's staying in pa- uh pace with the Banthas in this like through the sandstorm. Brian, is there any, while I was watching this, I w- was wondering if there's any cinematic influences here because it reminds me kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly.
3: Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a lot of that. And if you go back to the roots of Boba Fett as well, they've been saying that Boba Fett is very much uh, inspired by the good, the bad and the ugly and the entire man with no name trilogy, um, you know, across the board. Um, And so there's definitely some of that, that spaghetti Western flavor to it, but it's also a pretty classic Western trope. You know, the, the, you know, the, the cowboy tied back behind the horse. Uh, And it's not the first time uh, it's happened in Lucasfilm properties either. This is something that happens to Mad Mardigan and Willow you know sort of dragged behind the the pack animal as a prisoner
2: that's a good pull uh we get our title card and followed by chapter one so they're doing uh the the episode titles just like the mandalorian and the title of this episode is stranger in a strange land which i'm not sure do we need any explanation of this is there any um anything I mean, that's on the surface there
3: It's the title of a Robert Heinlein novel, and I don't know if if how familiar everybody is with that particular Heinlein novel, um, but it's about a... Not at all. It's about a man from Mars who comes back to Earth and sort of has to teach everyone a new way. Um, Valentine, the character in Strangers in a Strange Land, sort of brings peace and polyamory to Earth. Um, Something tells me Boba Fett isn't going to be doing that, but... (laughs) (laughs) um the, the the real core of the story though is that he's bringing a new order uh that's going to change the culture uh and he's the stranger in the strange land uh in a way that that's not um conducive to the status quo existing so there could be some literary allusions there or it can just be a really nice use of the idiom um but uh it's a great novel check it out
2: Also this, on the surface, it doesn't really work for me, Brian. And this is maybe a nitpick, but even in the new Disney canon, Boba Fett has been on Tatooine how many times? Like, was there one time he came face-to-face with Luke Skywalker in a sandstorm on Tatooine or something?
3: Well, I think on the surface, I mean, like, he's been on Tatooine a lot. And if you even you go back to the special editions, he's been working for Jabba on Tatooine since before the destruction of the first Death Star at least. I think the shot or the line that actually kind of tells us that he's a stranger in a strange land in that sort of way is when he's receiving everyone and he's confused by the mayor's major domo asking for tribute. And he's like, wait, I'm the crime. Like I'm confused. Like Boba (laughs) Fett's not a crime Lord. Boba Fett's a bounty hunter. And he's trying to lead a life that he's not necessarily equipped to do. He might be a better follower than a leader.
2: Fair enough. That's uh, that's a good point. Okay, so the Tuscans beat Boba Fett at their camp. Um, I guess they're trying. Are they trying to accomplish making him subservient to them? Is that the reading here? Because later they're gonna make him do some work. So it, it seems almost counterproductive to like beat him up and then force seems, him to do work. But
1: part of me wondered if this is like their way of like testing people that they capture and trying to acclimate or get them to like join their ranks as Tuscan Raiders because it feels like a lot of the stuff that he goes through are trials to see if he can endure the stuff that they do like it it seems weird that they have like the young Tuscan Raiders like they allow them to like pester him and beat him uh you know to see if he can take <laughs> it and and then they have that uh that moment where like it's basically like um a combat test for one of the other younger Tuscan Raiders uh to fight them in the middle of the desert after he tries to run away because weirdly enough the concept art that we see in the credits for this episode shows a kind of a different version of that scene where it looks like it was supposed to be this kind of ritualistic battle where it was a way for the younger Tusken Raiders to maybe graduate and show their strength um or to maybe also see if you know someone like uh Boba Fett had what it take, takes to become a Tusken Raider um, and I think that that also is echoed in the fact that they have that other Tusken Raider take Boba Fett and the the other Rhodian prisoner out to like do some, you know, uh, blue collar work essentially for them. But then he's also like cluing them in as to like what's going on, the things they're keeping an eye on by when you see that, you know, that gang um, raiding that moisture farm. So I don't know. What, what did you think about that, Brian?
3: Um, I, I like I think there's there's. Two potential reads of it. I think yours is totally valid and reasonable. And I think if anybody were to argue like, well, they could just be screwing with him the same way they did with like Shmi Skywalker or or maybe this is what's going on with Shmi that maybe as they add new layers to Tuskens that we didn't realize in Attack of the Clones, it's very much from the human perspective. Like these guys are vicious and mindless. They steal people and it's awful and they tortured her to death. And we see that from Anakin's perspective and Klieg Lars' perspective, and we don't really get their perspective. And so I think what you stated is sort of like a lot more nuance about it, where it's just like, hey, we're, are you cool? Can you, can you hang with us um, <laughs> as brutally as possible? And so I think maybe it's, it's maybe a mix and match of the two where, where maybe both are right from a certain point of view.
2: I do like how this in the Mandalorian is kind of humanizing the Tusken Raiders more. And, uh, you know, they used to be sand people, now they're Tusken Raiders. And like this is, they're, they, 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 and also even visually, uh, you know, I wasn't talking about this, but visually, I like the evolution of uh, like seeing what the the chief looks like, the warrior. Like they have like different features to them that I don't think we've seen before. Yeah, um, I do want to mention that the Tuscan chief is played by Xavier Jimenez, and he played a Tuscan raider in Chapter 9 of Mandalorian. Uh, so he's
3: there you got go. That, he's got that market locked down.
2: Yeah. Uh, so Bubba wake, wakes up next to a Ronian prisoner and... Rodian. Rodian sorry, Rodian prisoner <laughs> and one of the Tuscan dog creatures. I, I think they're called Massifs. Yep. A- approaches as he tries to break free he's able to break free and then knock out the massive and use the massif's teeth to cut his hands free and this is badass and also interesting how they could have just had boba fett kill the the creature but they didn't they made it clear that he just knocked him out because brian is it because he's a good guy now
3: I think I, I, this is that that sort of like it's that screenwriting trick, right? Where they're, you're like, if you want to show him evil, have him kick the cat. And if you want to show him like that, they're deep down good at heart. Have him kneel down and pet the cat. And like yeah. he knocks this thing out and then literally just pets its face. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think this is that that classic sort of screenwriting trick where it's like, hey, he's not all bad. But I yeah. don't know where that came from, though, either. Um, which is which is part of what's so interesting about this, and that they're they're creating this fundamental shift in his character, but not necessarily giving us the whys. and And those are the biggest questions for me coming out of this.
2: You know, uh, the the funny thing is, Brian. I haven't read a lot, but like just looking at Twitter and the response to last night's episode, you're the first person to, to zero in on on this, and I think that's very interesting. It should be a question we were asking, because this is not the Bubba Fat we knew.
1: I mean isn't that true though because like in the canon of star wars since they revamped it after Lucasfilm uh was bought by disney they wiped out a lot of who boba fett used to be and i don't think there's been any indication of him being entirely ruthless or anything like that like i mean it's kind of just the idea of what he says in attack of the clones is he's just a simple man trying to make his way in the galaxy and we don't know cool. anything about his like rituals or like lifestyle or anything as far as like his beliefs or the implications. That's like how he lives his life True. outside of being a bounty hunter. So I think it's hard to say that definitively.
3: Well, so we have a lot of clone wars though. Boba Fett was on a lot of clone wars working with Singh and Cad Bane. And he was pretty ruthlessly killing clones uh, on his own. Um, you know, as, like... as
1: as a bounty hunter though. Right.
3: Yeah, yeah, as a bounty hunter.
1: So I mean, and... I, I I feel like it's that thing though of like where, in a lot of crime movies and things like that, like you have your principles that you live by when you're doing your job, you know, and then you have the life that you lead separate from it. And even though those things obviously run together, and it's you you you, it's, you can't necessarily make the distinction between the two. It's it's kind of the Godfather principle. It's not it's not personal. It's business. Yeah. And and I so, guess so. So I mean, Hitler
2: Hitler was a good guy outside of work.
1: No, Peter, that's such a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. <laughs> well, well I, they're, both, they're both killing people. Kind yeah, of. but killing people was Hitler's business.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing is, though, is that like even when you look at like the War of the Bounty Hunters and and the ruthlessness he shows there, or there are episodes of Clone Wars where he's trying to put together his own crew, um, uh, especially the 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 episodes where Asajj Ventress joins his crew and he ends up getting stuffed into a box by the end of it. um, He has no compunctions about what he's doing, right? Like the Boba Fett that we know from the Canon would have made an absolutely different choice than Din Djarin did in the Mandalorian as far as Grogu, right? Like the Boba Fett that we knew in the Canon, whether it's, clone wars of the comics or whatever as a bounty hunter would have pulled the same thing ig11 did in or tried to do and just killed grogu outright
1: is it possible that there's stuff that happened between clone wars and empire that would more clearly like define or uh explain what are perceived as like Wait, differences in his uh, attitude and like approach to I don't know which is
3: which is why I was so excited to see the Camino flashbacks because yeah. I hope that they explore that okay. like that that obviously them going back that far in time is not off the table that seeing stuff of him during the time of the Empire could be on the table as well and I would love I would love to have them explore that and see who he is as a person um, but. But yeah, that, that's. I mean, they they I don't did think hire. It's, a it's just curious for me.
2: I, I was gonna say, um, technically, I mean, they did hire an actor that looks a lot like Daniel Logan, for like one small shot in this episode. So, I mean, if you have that guy, Brian, maybe may, maybe there's some other stuff there that they could they could do.
3: Yeah, at at that age, there's some stuff they could do, and I mean, like for the time of the Empire, like shortly after. If they wanted to do flashbacks in that era, they have Daniel Logan sitting
1: around. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say isn't Daniel Logan like around the right age right now where they could do a lot of like stuff that fills in the gaps with him at that age? Oh,
3: Daniel yeah. Logan's closer to the age of Boba Fett in in in, in uh Book of Boba Fett than Temuera Morrison is.
1: That's funny.
2: Yeah, that is funny. Okay, so he tries to break out the Rodian uh but the alien signals the tribe. This ends with Fett being matched up against a Tuscan warrior. Uh, again, this is uh, what Brad's talking about. Like, why is there just one of the warriors? Like, fi- like, why is, you know, what is going on here? What are they trying to do? And wh- I'm hoping they explain that a little bit more because it's um, I don't know, it's a little curious to me. Uh, the Tuscan warrior is played by Joanna Bennett who is the stunt double for almost every woman in superheroes today. She did Sharon Carter, Wonder Woman, Wasp, Mara, Captain Marvel, Gamora. The list keeps goes on and on and on. So, um, But uh, here she is uh, having her own role. Uh, the, so the warrior defeats Fett in battle. Uh, Fennec wakes him up from his healing session, and they do a suit-out montage which to me feels like the most Robert Rodriguez thing in this entire episode. What yeah, do you guys
1: think? Yeah, it's definitely like a it's almost like a spy kids uh kind of kind of thing. I actually yeah. liked it because it kind of reminded me of Robocop in a way. Um but yeah, it's funny. It seems like this was a change from what they had maybe originally envisioned because there's a piece of concept art in the credits that shows Boba Fett standing in front of what is essentially like a samurai armor display stand with his suit on it and then also his rifle and gaffy stick and it looks like at one point they envisioned him merely dressing himself but in this sequence obviously we see that they ha- he has a bunch of droids helping him do it so
2: yeah i'm glad you paid attention to the the credit uh, concept art brad because th- that's one thing i didn't pay attention to this time around i feel like in mandalorian season 2 there wasn't a lot of like differences like huge differences there was a couple but um okay, so a bunch of people from the surrounding area have shown up. they there's a line at the door, they're there to present Fett with tributes, uh to welcome him, welcome their new lord. The first alien that we see is Brian what is species aqualish? Is that aqualish, right? Yeah. Aqualish, yeah. Aqua. Um and this is <laughs> credited in the credits. I'm going to uh, Garful Kwaklix or something. Something like that is the, the name of this person. He's played by Barry Lowen, who is actually the actor who played the Mandalorian in most of the second season or the, I guess, stunt performer, whatever. So he. he, he so he's, know. The,
1: he's the one that played the Mandalorian when Pedro Pascal walked off set, right?
2: The, correct.
1: Yeah, because he, cause he left because <laughs> he was so mad about the series and not, not having his face shown. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But but he does have credit as the Mandalorian for most of the second season. Uh, So he's one of those guys in the suit. Um, So they they aren't able to communicate with some of the locals because they don't have a protocol droid, which is kind of funny. But they do have 8D8, which is Jabba's smelter droid from Return of the Jedi. Do you guys have anything to say about uh, this droid character?
1: Uh, I mean, the one thing I will say is something that we specifically called out on Slashfilm.com is that he is voiced by Matt Barry, which is fantastic. Uh, if you don't know who Matt Barry is, he's a British comedian. He plays Laszlo on FX's What We Do in the Shadow series. Uh, he was also on The IT Crowd and uh, The Mighty Boosh and Snuffbox. He's a hilarious uh, comedic actor. Uh, and this is cool to have his voice as an, a droid after we also had uh, Richard Ayoade uh, voice Zero in The Mandalorian previously, a, a droid bounty hunter.
3: I, I really enjoyed having this character back, especially that he's like, We're going to torture these guys. You've got to project your strength. Knowing that 8d8 was like EV99's like, second in command in Return of the Jedi, whose whole job and purpose was like torturing droids. So, like, him jumping straight to like, Let's torture the Gamorreans is a really hilarious leap to me.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, when he first appeared in this, I actually did a Google search. And the only thing that came up at the time uh, with Matt Berry and Star Wars was an article from November 2020 from the website Vulture. And the headline of this article is, cast Matt Berry in the Mandalorian, you cowards. (laughs) So I wonder if that led to this in some way. You never know. That's certainly possible. Yeah. Um, Okay. So anyways, uh, next up, uh, we get a Trandoshan uh, crime boss named Doc Strossi. And uh, this is interesting because this character is actually the Robert Rodriguez cameo because because Rodriguez can't help himself. He can't just direct. He has to do the cinematography. He has to do the music. He needs to be in the movie. Yeah. I wish he would just concentrate on the directing. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Um, but it, yeah, I, this I, is I, this is fairly benign on that score. I guess uh, I guess if if I was directing a Star Wars movie, I would
3: cameo in it too. So. He probably um, got paid more to be in it than <laughs> than to direct it, I'm guessing.
2: <laughs> That's probably true, but he probably got more paid more to be a producer. Yeah. yeah, overall. <laughs> yeah, uh because that's how things work in Hollywood. Um I, I really like the line even when a Trendocean pays you a compliment, it sounds like a threat.
3: Um I I really enjoyed this. I not even for the cameo, but the the sort of a, there's a little bit of a deeper easter egg there or if it's an easter egg, I don't even know, but Trendocean sort of traditionally Uh, have been the enemies of the Wookiees, and they love hunting Wookiees. And so he brings as tribute a Wookiee pelt. But one of the coolest details that we've had about Boba Fett since, you know, 1979 or whatever, is that Boba Fett and his armor in Empire and Jedi had uh, Wookiee, braids of Wookiee fur down one side. And I'm wondering if this is going to lead to him sort of adding that back to his costume, which is a pretty menacing thing. Like, I'm going to skin a Wookiee and, like, braid its hair on my it, – it, it's, it's gross, but I hope this brings it back.
2: <laughs> I was going to ask you if that was a Wookiee or not. Like, there's – you can't really tell, but I guess that makes sense. And it's also interesting the character calls Fett uh, what, – what is the word? Daimyo? Yeah, which yeah. is, uh, what, what does that mean?
3: Uh, in feudal Japan, daimyos were the the exercisers of the will of the shogunate, or they competed for the shogunate themselves.
2: Yeah. And uh, obviously Star Wars has a lot to uh, be credited towards, you know, that kind of mythology and iconography. Um, next up is someone from the mayor's office, who they thought they were seeing the mayor. It's not the mayor. Uh, they bring a heartfelt welcome and no tribute instead they they want a tribute for the male mayor Uh,
1: i just love how condescendingly polite the the mayor's (laughs) errand boy continues to be in this conversation um being very formal but also just like completely disrespecting boba fett in the process uh without doing so in a manner that would get him killed
2: (laughs) (laughs) i think my second favorite line of this episode is the fennec being shall i kill him he works for the mayor is that a no that's a no (laughs) (laughs)
3: i really liked him for exactly those reasons but like he's so just like hilariously gross about it i don't know and and it's funny another time i don't know if you're gonna bring up the fact that this is another one of those cameos um who is this so this is a guy named uh uh david pisquesi pisqueezy I don't know, um but he's a comedian, and he was on Strangers with candy um oh. so so he worked with Amy Sedaris, who was also in the Mandalorian on Stranger Strangers with Candy.
2: huh so that's the connection
3: yeah, I she wonder if he like the job.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm wondering if she got inundated by like his messages being like, "Please get me a role in the in, in the Mandalorian and uh they they worked it out. Um, you know what? Well, a lot of people are wondering who's the mayor. We'll talk about that in speculation. Although I think we pretty, we have a good idea of who the mayor is, but we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, next up we get two Gamorrean guards who worked for Jabba and later Bib Fortuna. Instead of killing them to project strength, Boba Fett sees value in their loyalty. Um, and I should mention that one of the Gamorrean Guards is played by this guy named Frank Trigg, who was his MIMA, he was like kind of a famous MMA fighter, and he's now a stunt performer in Hollywood. And then the other guy's Colin Himes, who's another stunt performer in a lot of stuff. Um so we see this dense desert city. It like continues into a canyon. And then like it basically fills up the canyon. Brian, I got to ask you, what city on Tatooine is this?
3: So this is Mos Espo, which we first saw in The Phantom Menace. This is uh, where Jabba's Palace is near. This is where the Boonta Eve uh, uh, Padres Arena is on the outskirts of. And uh, we've, we've never really seen this deep inside the city. I mean, we have, but not from a big wide shot like this.
2: Yeah, it's really cool looking. Um, yeah. Okay, so we see some cool-looking dog meets insect droids in the streets and I, I was left to wonder, do you think those are actually those like Boston Dynamic like robots? droids like
3: to me. That was what came right to my head.
2: That totally seems like a Star Wars thing to do is to like to put some like shells on top of them and to use real robots as, you know, fake movie droids <laughs> because, yeah. You know, that's the Star Wars thing to do. But so. it's also
3: it's got that it's got that Western vibe too, where it's like there's a kid there, uh that's that's sort of acting as a shepherd for these droids. It doesn't matter that like they're droids, like why would you be shepherding a group of these droids, but they look <laughs> kind of like goats like you'd see in that western town clearing out as the the hero or the, the Byronic hero shows up. So it's just like it fits the aesthetic in a way that you don't quite realize it could.
1: Yeah, I just want to know sure. what those those robots do. Like, are they shaving them for their metal? <laughs> do, do they get some kind of oil from it to make make a, a milk?
2: <laughs> Brad, yeah, you're gonna have to I read the comics to find out.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine what they would be useful for because they don't have like maybe they're maybe they're just gonk droids. Maybe they're the new gonk droids or something, and they're just power banks. Who knows?
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they make their way into the local cantina. And uh, they see some members of the Max Rebo band who are still apparently playing the Tatooine circuit. And I, I can't tell you the the pop that, <laughs> that seeing Max Rebo on screen got in my house. Uh, and it, it seems like he's replaced some of the members of his band. There's um,
1: a yes. Dre drummer. Size Noodles is nowhere to be seen. And Nor
3: is... Uh... Joe Yowza.
1: Yeah, Joe Yowza.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what well, happened and, to them? It, it it also makes me wonder, like, is this Max Rebo or just another Ortoloan uh you know keyboard player? Who knows? I don't know.
1: I mean considering um, we haven't seen another another we haven't seen another like Max Rebo alien, have we? Um
3: But also his partner
2: there was what's his name? Uh um, Diane? Yeah, for dane. At least uh, we think like,
1: so. It's there's not necessarily any. Oh no! Like if you just
2: saw Max Rebo, I could, I could get the pitch that maybe yeah. this is just someone from the species. But those two together, that seems like two, two species we've never seen elsewise in the Star Wars universe, and they're together and playing the same instruments.
1: Yeah, especially since they're playing the a, a, a basically a, a new what? version of the Cantina song too, with a little bit of Spanish guitar flair.
2: By the way, Brad, did you know that this the this song is called Cantina Latina? It's credited to John Williams, and it's performed by Brad. I'll let you guess who performed this.
1: Uh, who performed it? Yeah. Uh, wow. For the soundtrack,
2: it's, I mean, it's very easy. I set this up earlier in the episode.
1: Oh, you did. I must have. I'm I'm blinking. I'm, I'm not sure.
2: Robert Rodriguez. Oh, about.
1: oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, I forgot that he actually. I that he actually plays guitar. So, <laughs> um, yeah, well,
2: he not the, only the plays the thing... guitar, but he'll actually play guitar while they're filming B-roll shots. Of yeah, stuff, I, remember, like...
1: I know that there was that sh- that little video that was released of him playing guitar next to Baby Yoda. Yeah.
3: The the reason though that I feel like it it could not be him on the other hand too is the fact that he was on the sail barge when it exploded. But on the other hand, so is Big Fortuna.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure plenty of people escaped once they saw shit was going down. They're like, okay, we got to get out of (laughs) here. But
3: to where? Like, they're just, like, crawling through the sand?
1: I mean, there's other skiffs around. I'm sure some of them didn't stick around. (laughs) You know, I I know
2: there's probably some listeners out there that are hating this, and they're like, why aren't you talking about Boba Fett? But this is my favorite part of the podcast, guys. And I, I just enjoy talking to you guys about this, because this is, like, so in the weeds of Star Wars mythology and canon. That uh, I just love it.
1: And if I'm being honest, I uh, th- you know bring characters back like Max Rebo and Figurin' DN make me h- like hold out hope that we'll get like a this is Spinal Tap mockumentary focusing on either Figurin' <laughs> DN and the Modal Nodes or the Max Rebo band. <sighs>
2: Maybe someday. Did y- do you know they they uh, like sometime after the Phantom Menace they did a behind the music on R2D2, R2-D2
3: yeah, Don Bees did that as a, just a joke for himself. Don Bees was one of the droid handlers. And uh, I interviewed him not long ago, and he was really upset about it because he's like, yeah, I don't get a penny for it, so just pirate it. Like, I made it, and then they just took it and put it out. Really? Um, that's I remember buying said. that at
2: Suncoast video. Me back too. In the day.
3: I still have my copy. It was funny. <laughs> I mean, like, getting Christopher Lee talking seriously about working with R2 as a as a co-star is funny as hell to me
2: hey if we can get that brad maybe we can get that um that max rebo special that you want
3: so.
1: yeah see, there you go uh
2: okay so the, the the coolest thing to me in this cantina has to be the rex style droid manning a game gaming table if you don't know uh, rex uh, was the captain of star tours the original star tours now he is the DJ in Ogus Cantina in Galaxy's Edge, and uh, obviously he's not the only type of that droid, but here we see him manning some kind of gaming table. They're not playing Sabacc. They're playing some kind of other game.
1: But, which, is, uh, which is interesting because the concept art actually, it appears that they are playing Sabacc because you can see the, the same cards yeah. on, the, on the table. So I wonder if they switched it to like vary up the gambling that's done uh, across the Galaxy.
2: Did you guys see anything else cool in this cantina?
1: Those were the, those are the big ones
3: for me uh, with the, the, the RX series droid. And I wonder if, you know, if they were to have voiced him, maybe would they have brought back Paul <laughs> Rubens? Um, and it just seems like a pretty standard star Wars cantina.
2: It is a little brighter. Um, than, like, I guess um, the one from A New Hope or Oga's. And it has some plant, plants and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I got to agree. It's kind of like the standard. And it, it does have more than drinking. It has the gambling. Uh, they have the droid servers that we saw on, like, uh, R2-D2, like that whole yeah. um, serving tray thing. Uh, and the proprietor of this is a Twi'lek named Garza... Whip, which is probably one of the best Star Wars names I've heard in a couple of years, uh, and she it's calls no it the
3: scissor punch.
2: <laughs> she she calls it a sanctuary. I'm I'm wondering if that's the name of the place or if she's just referring to. So as...
3: In in the subtitles, she calls it the sanctuary, and they capitalize sanctuary, so I assumed it was the name of the place.
2: Brian, I love that 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 you you noticed that. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and she's played by Jennifer Beals, uh, who is famous for what Flashdance. She's been in a bunch of movies. The Book of Eli. She appeared in two segments of that uh, that movie Four Rooms, which...
3: Was Robert Rodriguez involved with Four Rooms? He directed The Misbehaviors, the Antonio Banderas segment where the kids find the dead hooker in the hotel room.
2: So was she in his segment?
3: No, but I think she was in – wasn't she in Tarantino's segment?
2: She was in two of the segments, but I don't know which one. It's probably
3: been 15 years since I watched Four Rooms. So the fact that I'm pulling any of this out of my head is shocking
2: (laughs) me. Uh, Yeah, I didn't have time to go rewatch that to to figure it out. But um, I'm guessing that's how Robert Rodriguez knows her, and that's how she ended up there. But uh, that's just an assumption on my part. So uh, Fwip seems welcoming of this new boss – uh do you think it's what what things seem like do you think she's she's happy for it or do you think there's going to be something more to this
3: if there's nothing more to it it's really bad screenwriting to have sent him there in the first place yeah fair enough um (laughs) i mean like if if Why would you have a scene with a character showing up and saying like, hey, I'm rolling over on your on your on your action here and I'm taking over and they go say, oh, cool, fine. I love that. And then leave. And then there's no repercussions for that or no fighting. Like, what's the point of the scene?
2: And by the way, they we should note that they leave full of a helmet, full of Republic credits that have that new Republic logo on it. And seconds later are attacked. Are those two connected, Brad? What, What do you think?
1: Uh, I think it's a safe bet.
3: Okay. Uh, it- I I read it as it could have been the delegation from the mayor, too. Hmm.
1: I think that's possible, especially if you consider that we know like uh, footage that we've seen in trailers and for the teaser for next week involves uh, the mayor. But part of me thinks that this is maybe just another crime syndicate in general that is... One of probably several that will try to usurp the power now that Boba Fett is the new one in charge.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they a gang of assassins come from the rooftops and attack them. They have these kind of red uh, force shield, hollow shield things. I'm not sure if they have a name in Star Wars canon or not. Uh, And they're wearing these maroon outfits. So I'm, I'm I'm trying to like place like who they could be connected with. I will say this in the credits. There is a stunt person that's credited as night wind assassin. So, and I I was not able to find any connection to anything in star Wars canon about night wind. So Um,
3: the closest thing I can come up with, given all that information, the color palette of the uniforms and the style of the masks, the closest thing I can think of is the night sisters who did wear costumes very similar to that and had the same similar, you know, masks, you know, the the ninja covid style masks. Um just like who, these guys. Who
2: are who are the night sisters?
3: So the night sisters of Dathomir were the um they were an order of assassins and witches that Asajj Ventress once belonged to and uh Darth Maul was part of their society in so, in in some way. Um Years years back, they were en- they ended up uh, being killed uh, by General Grievous during the Clone Wars, uh, when Palpatine wanted to eliminate Mother Talzin, the leader of the Sisters, uh, as a rival to his power in the Dark Side.
2: Hmm. So some 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 connections to possible connections to Darth Maul. Darth Maul is not alive at this point in time, right? Yeah, because he's Correct. he was killed he by died- Obi Wan
3: prior to A New Hope.
1: Yeah. Uh, and so it's interesting to note, um, if you look at the concept art uh, in the credits for this, the these warriors look different than they do uh, in the actual episode. Uh, in the concept art, they're in all black, and they either have blue faces that are seen underneath their headgear or their their helmets that make it appear that they have some kind of blue accent on them and their shields themselves are also blue rather than being red. So they really overhauled their appearance for the actual episode for whatever reason.
2: Hmm. Okay. So Fennec and Fett battle with the assassins and uh, just when they're kind of like cornered into like actually kind of this cool like move that you sometimes see like riot police do where like they kind of surround someone with those like big shield things uh, the Gamorian guards uh, finally proved their usefulness and, and, and proved that uh, Fett made the right choice in not killing them and using them as his thugs. Uh, I got to say, I, I'll let you guys talk about this action sequence, but I don't think I'm a fan of Tamar's, uh unhinged acting in this. It feels like a bit over the top. you guys have any thoughts? I
3: mean, nothing. It, it didn't seem... I mean, it's it didn't seem out of place to me.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brad, any thoughts on this action sequence as a whole?
1: So this was one of the sequences that I was really disappointed in, and it made this show feel kind of cheap to me because I feel like the choreography and the action is really stilted and kind of just awkward like their movement it doesn't feel fluid at all it feels very rehearsed and there's just no like grace or style to their movements and part of me tried to give them the benefit of the doubt and made me was thinking that maybe it feels that way because like their the attack from the warriors is so methodical that they know immediately know like the best and most um i don't know direct way of fighting back against it which is why they're they're moving so precisely but Tamora morrison's also 60 years old I imagine even though he's probably in decent shape and has plenty of experience doing stuff like this, he's probably not quite the young buck he used to be and may, maybe can't do swift choreographed fight so easily. But that's also what stunt doubles are for. So, you know, I don't know. This The the action here in this particular close quarters combat just felt really clumsy to me. And I feel like, uh, I hope that this is just a fluke or, you know, because uh, I, I feel like Boba Fett should be a better fighter and even fennec shan i mean she's played by ming na wen come on she's like she knows martial arts and even her stuff felt like it was you know being held back um and like it's especially clear when you have the chase that follows right after this with the the parkour and the leaping that feels infinitely better as an action sequence so i don't know what happened here or why it's like this so
3: i my issue with the the action sequence wasn't so much that it i mean it felt like a very sort of ridiculous street fight the thing for me was the over telegraphing of the gamorreans coming in to save the day where they made such a big deal of the Gamorians in the first scene where they bring them in uh in the palace and then they reinforce that at the sanctuary where she's like do you want us to hose them off and feed them um which is kind of hilarious to me but they're there with them not anywhere outside of you know, five feet of Boba Fett at any given time. And then as soon as they leave, they're just mysteriously missing. And it was a noticeable absence because they made so much hay about the Gamorreans being there. So it's like, oh, they got in the fight. I wonder who's coming to their rescue, the Gamorreans who are no longer in the shot for inexplicable reasons.
2: Yeah, I guess you have a good point there because there's no reason for them not to be behind them as they were walking through the the city. No reason at all. So um, I do. I, yeah, I do like the rooftop parkour chase scene more than I like the the whole battle on the streets. It, I'm not. you that?
3: It reminded me very much of Desperado.
2: Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, and uh, Fennec uses their plasma pikes against them and is victorious. And she captures one of them. And I was expecting the next scene to be a some kind of big reveal of who they're working for, the person like, you know, explaining who they were hired by or who, you know, whatever. And this might have to do with what I said earlier of them not showing, like they were so uh, stingy in <laughs> what footage they used to promote this, this series. And, you know, in interviews, they were saying like, it's only the first 15 minutes of the episode, which is, it isn't even like most of the footage from this, the trailer is not even in the first 15 minutes of the episode. So it's kind of weird. Um, but I I think me and a lot of people were expecting some kind of reveal in this episode. And I think that that might lead to a little bit of disappointment and just, you know, expectations are, <laughs> are, are, are a thing like that where like, you know, if you're expecting something, you don't get it. Then you feel like, but it was never promised to us. I think it was just like the framing of how they were marketing this thing. Anyways. Um, okay. So Boba is returned to his back to tank and we get another uh, memory flashback where he's, he's back with the Tusken child um, who's leading him and the alien back into the desert uh And I should mention that the Tuscan kid is played by Wesley Kimmel, who is not jimmy Kimmel's son um is <laughs> uh a young boy who was uh, one of his recent roles is he was uh in the Scarlet Witches commercials in WandaVision. so he's been in other disney plus stuff uh so they come across a moisture farm that's getting ransacked by a bunch of bikers on speeder bikes. And the audio description, you know, I sometimes like to go to the audio description because it'll tell you out loud more details than I'm able to make out with my eyes. It told me that the the bikers that are ransacking this place are actually Niktu bikers. Who are Niktus? uh Brian?
3: So they're uh, a species of people that have you know, sort of traditionally been enslaved by Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt had a Niktu guard. Um, one of them was actually uh, the one that that sort of gets named Niktu in um, in Return of the Jedi was played by Corey D. Williams, Billy D. Williams' son. And the name itself is a reference to Forbidden Planet, uh, or not Forbidden Planet, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, Klaatu, Barada, Niktu are the the code words to get through the robot, which got used again in army of darkness, but those are the species of, uh, the sort of most prevalent slaves in Jabba's retinue on Tatooine. That was probably way more in the weeds than you wanted to get in. I just got (laughs) carried away there.
2: That's fine. I like those, those off ramps or those, um, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I guess my question here is, what is this scene about? What are we tr- uh, supposed to get from this scene? Because I was, I was expecting maybe that once the bikers went away, that maybe the Tuscan would go there and steal some of the water from the. There's like this big like moisture machine thing that's like spouting out water, almost like a fountain, and it seems like he's. the the Tuscans are all about the water, right? Like they want those like melon things later on water. What, but they, they just weave, you know, they just walk away from that. Like, Brad, do you have any theories on what's going on here?
1: Well, I imagine that this gang, whoever they are, is someone that the Tuscan Raiders are familiar with. And by now they probably know not to mess with. And that includes probably entrenching on any of their territory, uh, especially since they very went out of their way to mark uh that residence with their their gang symbol so i imagine that's probably a good as good a reason as any um maybe all also- It's so weird
2: it's so weird that they were marking that residence with uh double j jeff Jarrett, uh the WWF wrestler's l- old logo
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> um <laughs> but uh that reference is lost on me entirely. <laughs> it, it
2: it doesn't it, it, yeah, it would be lost <laughs> on most people, but I was trying try, I was trying to figure out what that like that marking meant.
1: It, maybe it's maybe um, marking it for JJ J. Abrams. Maybe. But uh, no. So yeah, so I um <laughs> plus I also wonder if maybe the Tuscan Raiders since they're like these sort of uh tribal people if they have some kind of aversion to moisture farm technology and they get their water, you know, the old fashioned way
3: brian
2: any thoughts on what's going on
1: i think
3: they i think um they have traditionally attacked people connected to the moisture evaporators and sort of have stolen that water i think i think attack of the clones kind of talks about that with shmi but also um well i guess maybe some of its legendary material now but Mm -hmm. um the story i kind of got was that it was something that that the tuscans if they were there in force would have done something about um but the kid was there with two prisoners right and so he wasn't going to be able to to stand up to them especially if he couldn't count on the prisoners to help him and so it was like let's just leave and report report this back cuz i can't handle this on my own
2: i think that probably makes the most sense although what do you make of the logo that they're like tagging this residence with? Like, I'm, I'm sure that it has to come back later on.
3: Well, the J made me think of something to do with Jabba. Um, hmm. Right. And I don't know what that the L or another J would be um, in reference to. But my assumption was that this was laying groundwork for something that we would see in future episodes and that it'll become clear.
2: Okay, so the Tuscan kid leads them to the middle of the desert where he demands they dig for these black melon. By the way, the the audio title describes them as black melons. So I'm going to call them black melons, even though... Have we seen these before, Brian, like these black melons that contain water? Is that something new or is that canon?
3: I am trying to... Th- I feel like we've seen them before, um, but I really honestly couldn't tell you where.
2: Okay, um, if you guys know, you can email me at peter slash um, So, okay, so Boba isn't allowed to drink the water from the melons and uh, the other prisoner doesn't want to cooperate in the escape. Uh, they uncover some kind of behemoth of a creature which has four arms and two legs and to me is very Harryhausen inspired.
3: Yeah, I got that. It looks very much like the face even looks very much like Harryhausen's The Kraken from 1981's Clash of the Titans. And it makes sense. Robert Rodriguez has had a love affair with Harryhausen's work going. I mean, and he puts it in his work where he can. Spy Kids 2, Island of Lost Dreams featured sequences of CG animated creatures that were CG animated to look like Harryhausen creatures with that jerky stop motion. And this felt very much in that same mode to me
2: I think when I was on a tour of IOM the last time I was there like there was like this big poster signed by uh Harryhausen when he visited there or something Um, oh they all love him yeah uh but I do want to mention how I, I appreciate this being weird and being different they could have just used some other Star Wars creature but uh they're they're doing something that's uh does it like? I'm I'm sure people are gonna mock. I haven't looked at all, like Twitter that much, but I'm sure this is probably gonna be the mocking point of this episode because it, it is so different and strange. But I I like it. Uh, so Fett is able to save the Tusken Raider, choking it to death, almost like uh, Leia does to J- Jabba uh, with the chain that imprisons him. Uh, later the kid returns to camp with the decapitated head of the creature, and the tribe like celebrates his his accomplishment. Not, not the accomplishment of Bubba Fett, his prisoner, but his accomplishment. Um the chief offers Bubba his melon, uh, which is, you know, has the water that he's been desiring. So Brian, reading between the lines, what are we to make of the the the, the last uh, scene or, scene or two of this this episode? Is it's like, is this how someone becomes a Gamorrean guard? Like, is this how you become like a grunt for someone? You mean a Tuscan? I'm just I'm just saying like uh, um you yeah a, a Tuscan, but I'm just saying like like you know the the G-Gamorian guards are just like these grunts for like other people, oh, and it yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. he's kind of experiencing the same. Thing that maybe that that's how they got into that like line of work oh, of being subservient yeah. to someone. I don't know. I I, mean, I'm wondering I, what is being said here. Is what basically what I'm asked asking?
3: What I felt and, and and again we'll have to see more to kind of see where it goes. But I felt at the very least that offering of the the melon was, um, if nothing else, begrudging respect, and that they were going to start giving him a little bit more latitude in their little their little circle or their tribe there um and yeah i could see boba fett working his way up the fact that he has a gaffy stick in the mandalorian says that he's going to have to earn that somehow and that melon was that first step to to doing that you
2: mean he couldn't have just stolen it and beat them to death
3: well this boba fett seems a little bit more honorable than that
2: (laughs) fair enough uh brad do you have any final thoughts on this episode
1: I wish that there was a little more for us to sink our teeth into. It feels like an abrupt ending without much, uh, set up for what's to come beyond just the basic bones of, you know, what we already established. I, I just, I was hoping and expecting more, which is, you know, why I said I wanted like a second episode to really dig into more of what the show is going to be about. But yeah, clearly Disney is set on slow rolling their reveals and, uh, Yeah, though there are some hints, uh, which I guess we'll talk about here shortly in the speculation part of the podcast.
2: Yeah, okay, Uh, let's jump into that. We only have six episodes left, so this isn't an eight-episode season like The Mandalorian has been. uh, Wait, was season two of The Mandalorian eight episodes? Uh, Yes, it was. So both season one and season two were eight episodes. Um, This time we only get seven. I'm guessing that might have something to do with COVID, maybe not. I'm guessing also the the reason why a lot of the bad guys in the show have masks might be COVID related related. Maybe not. Um okay, well let's get into the speculation. Uh who is the mayor? Is it anybody we
3: know? I don't I don't think so. I mean they gave the name of the mayor. I don't have it at, at my fingertips, but I looked at I looked at uh I looked at it in the subtitles and can't remember it off the top of my head, but it wasn't a character that I'm familiar with off the top of my head
1: it we know that it's a hammerhead uh and what's the name of that species how do you say it brian
3: An historian
1: yeah um because so we've seen that character in the trailer uh for the book of boba fett the full trailer and you can see the the twi'lek Aaron boy in the same shot when that character is talking to boba fett and then a a teaser for Um, what's to come in the series was released today a short 32nd one and the subtitles labeled that character as the mayor. So that that's the character that we're, we're dealing with.
2: Oh, I didn't even see that teaser. So I, is is there anything in that teaser that we should be aware of? Like, is there anything interesting?
1: Not really? It's, it's honestly, it's just like, it's different perspectives and angles and like a little bit of extra footage on stuff uh, that was already teased in the full trailer. Um, like little snippets with Jennifer Beals' Twi'lek character and uh, the the aforementioned mayor and just just general uh, action stuff like the the meeting that Boba Fett has with the other uh, crime lords in the area stuff like that. So there wasn't anything revelatory to give us any big hints as to what's to come. Do either I'm... of you
3: have any? Oh, what we're you gonna say, Brian. I was gonna say I really think this is floating on the fact that Boba Fett's sort of like a like a cult icon among Star Wars fans, and that's the steam that they're charging ahead on, rather than new stuff.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Uh,
3: do we have any other theories or
2: thoughts, speculation on who the Night Winds assassins are working for? Like, do, do we just think they're working for the Ithorian mayor? that we were just talking about or is it someone else
1: that seems possible i think it's too early to know for sure because as we've seen in the the short clips where boba fett's having like a big crime family meeting there are a lot of different alien species with their hands in the crime syndicate cookie jar and so they could be working for anybody but um i think the biggest hint that we have of what could potentially be in the works here comes uh from a little musical cue in the score uh, which ap- appears to be a little um, theme reference to the crime syndicate known as Crimson Dawn.
2: Brian, have you heard this?
1: No,
3: I haven't. I haven't heard that yet. Um, I didn't so, yeah, pick up um, on that either. Yeah, minute
2: and forty seconds into the Boba Fett uh, book of Boba Fett theme song is what sounds like the Crimson Dawn theme. I'm not sure if it is. I'm not like 100% signed on to this thing because, uh, to be very clear, before this episode aired, there was rumors going rampant that Crimson Dawn was going to be a part of the series and that uh, – um, what's her name? Uh,
1: Kira. From-
2: Kira was going to be the big villain of this ep- – Like, that it was going to be revealed in this episode that she was the big villain. These are just rumors. Just read it. Things there's many things that end up on Reddit all the time that are end up being completely fake, and I think when this theme song got released, there was a lot of people trying to find confirm, you know, confirmation bias of sorts. So I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's the crimson. Like it could just be like, you know, a dark. I mean, Brad, are you a hundred percent sure? What do you think?
1: I'm not 100% sure, but I will say that I like the idea of Lucasfilm picking up on the Crimson Dawn thread in a TV series um, with a character that has ties to Han Solo. I but the the trick is is that obviously the series takes place, you know, so many years after the events of Solo a Star Wars story. How do you do that without having to fill in a bunch of, you know, gaps beforehand because they've, they've told some stories with Kira in comic books and whatnot. um, But it's different when you want to bring that stuff, you know, into the TV show and you have to expand upon it and explain where characters have been during these years and why they are uh, where they're at when we find them. So if they do bring Kira back, it would be very cool. Um, but I think you would require a lot of explanation as to like what Crimson Dawn has been up to during the, the events of the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy and kind of getting them in a place where you understand where they are in the universe.
2: By the way, I just looked it up. It's probably about two decades after the events of Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, I mean, we yeah, don't know I- because we don't have the actual year, but I'm guessing about two decades.
3: So the other thing about Kira though too is that she would need to age up about the same amount as Harrison Ford in this in this era and Luke um Luke doesn't look all that like I think they could probably age up Amelia Clark a little bit right if they can age down Tamara Morrison 20 years they can age her up 5 or 10
2: It it's a lot easier to age someone up than it is to age someone down in in my mind at least um you could just you know add some gray to her hair or Look, the other
3: the other thing to your point though too brad is that they kind of revealed darth maul or maul in solo without any of that either and there the general audiences who hadn't seen clone wars uh missed all of that context too
1: that's true but i think that i don't know you're not wrong I just think I feel like they, they they would have to do some some storytelling, you know, lifting to really like sell it as something that that makes sense. Yeah,
2: I really thought that she was going to come back in Obi wan the 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 miniseries that we're going to get. But I guess it make if she does come back, if this rumor does end up being true, it might make more sense for her to be like one of the crime syndicates that uh you know that Boba Fett has to come. Face to face with in in the season, but um yeah okay so so that's on the table. Brian, Brian, what do you think? What are your like? If you were giving the Vegas odds, like, what what do you think of this actually happening? This rumor panning out?
3: I I don't I don't see it. Um, like the stuff they're building. I mean, it's possible though. I mean, the stuff they're doing with the War of the Bounty Hunters in the comics. I've not finished that series yet, but they did build it as though Kira. And Crimson Dawn did steal Han Solo and Carbonite from Boba Fett. Uh, and he had to sort of claw his way back. And so there's definitely a revenge element against Crimson Dawn. Um, but Crimson Dawn really fell off the map uh, for a long time during the time of the Empire and the Galactic Civil War until that reappearance in in the comics. And this is only a few years after that. So... Uh, you know, maybe maybe Charles Soule got permission to bring her back because they knew that they were going to be bringing her back in in the TV show. But I also can't imagine them letting him blow that reveal in the comics.
2: Yeah, not only blowing that reveal, but usually like, you know, if something's part of Mandalorian or, you know, it's it's kind of gated. It's a gated community over at Lucasfilm where, like, if someone's working on a project, it's kind of like, yeah. oh, you can't touch Boba Fett. Like, you know, when they were making Solo, uh, I forget who said it, they, they were not allowed to use Boba Fett because they were working on a Boba Fett movie. And, like, it, it just adds complications to more than one project. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a valid, that's a valid arg- argument there, Brian.
3: But then again, I mean, they had Dave bring Fennec Shannon to Bad Batch also yeah. so like there is that that give and take but the difference there is that dave filoni has next to nothing to do with the comic books and he has everything to do with the show he's producing
2: well here's a question about bad batch and maybe you'll have the quick answer to this do we know that the fennec shan thing that she wasn't created for bad batch before she was created for mandalorian because animation takes years right
3: I think it was, it was created in, in, in tandem. I think they were both in, in production at around the same time and they knew they wanted to put her in both and and give her some history. Um, I think, I think if you watch Bad Batch, I know you're probably not going to be able to get through it before um, Book of Boba Fett is over, but there are a lot of ties where you can tell they were developing these shows in tandem.
2: Yeah. Okay, um Do you think we're gonna see Cobb Vanth in the series?
3: I hope so. I why would you why would you cast Timothy Oliphant and give him such a juicy part in the Mandalorian and not have him pay off in Book of Boba Fett? Because I think they they knew they were making Book of Boba Fett while they were working on that, right? Why else would they have Robert Rodriguez direct the episode where Boba Fett returns definitively?
1: Yeah, yeah. They, and knowing they, they, he was
3: going to be an executive producer developing the show the next one.
1: Yeah, they better bring back Cobb Vamp. Like, it's a demand.
2: <laughs> yeah, I want more Cobb Vamp. I, I think it was Joanna Robinson I saw on Twitter made a tweet that was like something. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But she was like, I don't know that Timothy Oliphant is going to be in the Book of Boba Fett for sure. But here's a photo of Timothy Oliphant uh, appearing on Kimmel a year ago. And it looked like his hairdo has basically the, the Cobb Vanth uh, whole hairdo st- stuff. So uh, I, I, I would put my money on it. I think I think he, we're, we haven't seen the last Cobb Vanth. Um, we also haven't seen that the biker chick. Uh, that, that's what uh, our writer called her. <laughs> the cool biker chick character that we saw in the, the trailer that, uh, played by Sophie Thatcher, who is in Yellow Jackets. Uh, I want to give another uh plug if you haven't seen the show yellow jackets it's on showtime it's probably the best show that's currently on television that people aren't watching uh go check it out uh how do you guys think that uh this this biker chick character is gonna play into this season
3: oh i have no idea (laughs) she's certainly not a (laughs) nikto
2: that's for sure but she also yeah. had different a different bike. She had like kind of like more of like a solo style bike where they were on like speeder bikes in uh the people that were ravaging, right?
3: I think I think that's what's hard about this first speculation section that we're doing <laughs> is that they've played everything so close to their vest, and we don't have it and the- this this first episode didn't reveal anything. It was all table setting of information we already had.
2: Yeah. Um yeah, I I I I really like that's all the questions I wrote down in my notes. I guess my biggest question is who is the big bad of the series? And uh I don't think that my they've kid,
3: My kid keeps telling me it's of the Hutt, uh, who disappeared <laughs> Jabba's son who disappeared from the Clone Wars movie and hasn't been back since. But so so there is a thread in Aftermath that they haven't picked back up yet. But the Red Key Raiders, the mining company that Cobb Vanth fought against that he talked about in The Mandalorian, they had a hutlet uh, that they wanted to install on Jabba's throne. And Cobb Vanth, when he took down that mining guild with the Boba Fett armor, had Malakili, the Rancor Keeper, bring him into the fold and have him start training that hutlet so it would take orders from them and they could put a hut back on that throne. And that Hasn't gone anywhere. They brought back Cobb Vanth. They brought back Boba Fett's armor through Cobb Vanth. They brought back the Red Key Raiders and that mining company. Why wouldn't they follow up on that storyline too?
2: Hmm. I mean, I'm more, for, uh, I'm all I'm for another hut appearing in this, but uh, yeah.
3: I, but I mean, this one's just a kid at this point too. Probably, you know, an adolescent hunt at most.
2: Well, in the Clone Wars thing, he—that was the guy that was in the backpack, right?
3: and Anakin's Yeah, that was stinky. Roda the hut was Jabba's oh, son. Not- the the hutlet that is in Aftermath is a different one. I want to say his name is Borgo, but don't quote me on that. Um but So how but yeah, how that- big
2: would he be now at, at this point in the canon?
3: Roda would probably be Well, I it's the same thing with grogu right like we have no idea what hut life cycles are like um there was i'm reading the new aftermath no i listened to the new after uh, not aftermath high republic um tempest runner audio drama and they name dropped gardula the hut there and gardula the hut was the hut that owned anakin and shmi and lost them to watto and High Republic is 200 years prior. Um, Marlo the Hutt, again, from Clone Wars, the one that's based on Marlon Brando and the Godfather. Um, He was in the Clone Wars, and um, in one of the comics he appeared in, he references some High Republic characters as well, the Chancellor of the High Republic. So these huts live hundreds and hundreds of years, and when you look at these species in Star Wars that live that long... Who knows how long they're going to remain adolescents. Plus,
1: Pizza the Hut is still out there, right?
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely. But he's coming back. For, he's calling out for you. <laughs> Brad, do
2: you have any uh, remaining speculation before uh, we sign not off?
1: Not particularly. One thing I did want to mention, though, because this is, this is out there. I want to say that this is totally out there. It's a it was a, cra- a crackpot theory, as labeled by the writer himself, uh, Ryan Scott, who's been on the Slashroom Daily podcast recently for a lot of box office stuff. Uh, he put it out there the the possibility, potentially, that Mace Windu is out there and still alive, and that maybe there might be a bone to pick from Boba Fett uh, with him if he finds out that he's alive, um, and that basically that just just comes from the effect that they did do that Attack of the Clones. <laughs> flashback in the beginning and made that a significant moment and even though it is a significant moment for Boba Fett I mean it's a significant moment because Mace Windu is the one that chops his dad's head off so you know if if there is somebody who Boba Fett would have a serious problem with it's Mace Windu
3: and that's something that they played up in Clone Wars too, where Boba Fett's entire um, reintroduction on the show was in an effort to assassinate Mace Windu for revenge Brian, what do you think? Like, I know we've seen Samuel Jackson. I think
2: he, what was that, D twenty three or Celebration? He appeared on screen, and he basically said that Mace Windu's alive. Um, you know, if, if Lucasfilm agrees with him or not, that's to be seen. Uh, but do you think we'll see him in the
3: series? So, after after Darth Maul's return, I really think Star Wars will bring back anybody they want to for whatever reason, no matter how nonsensical it is, and make it rad. Uh, So I doubt it, but it would be cool. I will say this, though. it does tie thematically really well.
2: Yeah. But I think Mace Windu was already rad in the prequels. And what Filoni does best is he takes some stuff that, like, is not appreciated outside of his Star Wars things and brings them into his Star Wars things. And he has the gift of like turning coal into gold, you know, or I want to say coal, but like he's, he's able to make things better, uh, retroactively. And I know solo, I mean, in the community of Star Wars, people love solo, but I think, uh, it's kind of like this thing that's kind of remembered as this box office bomb. And, uh, a lot of people, uh, make fun of it and it it kind of leaves on a, a note of you know uh darth maul and this criminal organization of uh crimson dawn maybe it makes more sense for someone like filoni to be attracted to bringing that into this i i guess i'm just fighting for this theory even though it's probably and
1: not. i mean and plus when it, you have to imagine that makes windu would look so cool coming back from being electrocuted by Palpatine and being thrown off of a high-rise. Like, he could could have, like, a really messed-up eye and, like, a scraggly beard and, like, probably at least, like, one mechanical limb. I mean, they could do something awesome with Mace Windu's appearance.
3: Yeah, I mean, he has a better shot of living than Maul did.
2: (laughs) Yeah, And, and Maul lived, so there yeah.
3: you go no i'm not discounting it as a possibility uh at all i don't want anybody to think that i think it's totally possible um i don't see it happening but it would be cool if it did
2: okay we've officially done a podcast that's three times the running length of the episode that we're talking about so brian where can we find more of your work uh are you are you doing recaps for slash film yeah,
3: so I'm doing recaps and reviews of, of the uh Book of Boba Fett show every episode on Slash Film. Uh and if you like hearing me talk about Star Wars, I do a weekly Star Wars podcast called Full of Sith that you could uh you could tune into for. Uh, or you can find me everywhere I'm at at Swankmotron, whether that's swankmotron.com or Twitter at Swankmotron.
2: Very cool. And we're gonna have Brian back every week if we can if we can get him on it because uh now now Disney's doing these things on Wednesdays instead of Fridays so it makes things a little bit more complicated for people who have uh you know jobs and stuff <laughs> yeah <it's> uh, people <laughs> Yes, real people. Uh, But anyway, so you can find more of all of our work at SlashLim.com. I'm going to link all our coverage of the book of Boba Fett in the show notes if you want to check that out. There's a lot to be said and a lot of stuff that we didn't even cover. Uh, This podcast is published every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation to Peter at SlashLim.com. And please head on over to our Apple podcast page, Give us like a five-star rating. Write us a short review that helps people find us. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.